I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Hi, friends. Uh, welcome to our second installment of Courageous Conversations. If you have been with Kingstown longer than the last uh, six months, maybe, you may remember that we, um, one of the things we're known for it has been pub theology throughout the years. Uh, and we knew that pub theology needed to be regrouped a little bit. And then Fiona's closed, and then COVID happened, and I have heard you all say over and over again, you miss it. You miss the kind of conversations we were having at Pub Theology. And so we are back um, having some rich conversations about God and um, our faith and the world around us and how we relate to the world around us um, in light of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, these are called Courageous Conversations in the Cloud. So thank you for being with us here online today. And I'm so excited to introduce you to my really good friend. Uh, this is uh, Reverend Cameron Wilds, and you all re might remember his face. Uh, if you, this is a test of whether you have been worshiping online with us lately, right? Um, you may remember his face from at the beginning of September. He came and preached, but that didn't tell you anything about him. That was just 15 minutes of him um, laying some serious theology out. Like, it was, I think, think he took us into Romans, um, as Cameron would, right? Um, but I want you to get to know him because he's one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, one of the things I say often about Cameron, and I'm going to stop talking in just a second so you can actually get to know him. But one of the things I say is I say to Cameron, so when are you going to become bishop? Because I really think like he is, he's so um, in many ways unassuming. Um, and I think that is kind of the, uh, he kind of just slips in to your life and has wisdom and, uh, and, and can kind of go undetected, which is like the gift and, and grace of a bishop, right? Like, so this is why I think one day he's gonna be bishop. Um, he also moved to this area and we're super good friends with him and his wife and have been spending um, time together even in COVID and it feels good to have a friend, um, a good friend we can see. And so um, Cameron, welcome. So glad you're on this call. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey, who are you? So yeah, I'm Cameron. I'm uh, blessed to be one of the pastors at Rising Hope Mission Church in Alexandria, uh, right off the Route 1 corridor. And um, as Michelle said, my family and I, we moved here 
recently at the end of June. Um, we live out in the Lorton area. Um, and it's my wife and I have two children, uh, Alexander and Eleanor and, uh, love and life. Yay. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, like got something else to share with you about Cameron. Uh, this is really interesting. So you all know that I'm going to, or you, I hope you know this, but <laughs> you know it but now you are going to process it in your brain. Um, I am having a baby and today is actually, um, this week is my 20th week. So I'm halfway through, it's sneaking up. I'm having a baby, um, that's crazy to me. And, um, but it's also gonna be interesting for Kingstown. Um, I'll be taking maternity leave and drum roll, the Reverend Cameron Wilds is going to sub for me um, as your predominant pastoral leadership while I am on 10 weeks of maternity leave and I you all like let me just say that the the norm for for um for United Methodist clergy when somebody goes on maternity leave is you just get a random string of pastors in your pulpit sometimes not pastors sometimes and um and so we are super grateful at Kingstown to have Alyssa who's interning from Wesley and what and you will see Alyssa's face but I wanted some like consistency of pastoral leadership and this would have not been able to happen next year, right? Like the, this, this unique year is the time, the right time while, while at Rising Hope, there is a co-pastor relationship going on where Cameron can step in in this way. And you all have like the greatest gift and Cameron, I can't wait. And I'm not in the business of putting like, you know how like for weddings, the bride puts the bridesmaids in really, really like tacky, awful dresses so that to make herself look better. I am not in that business. Like I want to bring in a preacher who is better than I am for that season because I want you to hear a different voice and I, um, Cameron's a better preacher than me. And maybe, <laughs> you'll have to decide. <laughs> what is this dress you're putting me in? <laughs> Um, so we're so excited. We're so excited. And, and the gift of this also is you all get to, for a season, be in ministry and partnership and, and not for a season, hopefully ongoing, but this is just the beginning of something rich, um, being in ministry and partnership with Rising Hope. So we're going to begin that this year, um, before maternity leave even, but, um, you will get to witness the ministry of Rising Hope and Rising Hope will get to witness the ministry of Kingstown in really unique ways that are still yet to be determined. And so, um, look forward to that, look forward to Absolutely. it. And it's, so the season of Easter, season of Easter, um, Easter and the, and the weeks following Cameron will be your pastor. Yay. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. It is going to be fun. It'll be fun. And I'm going to be snuggling a little baby. <laughs> uh, so Cameron, um, because I want them to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, what, like Michelle is to church planting. Michelle is to the passion of starting a new congregation, a new faith community as Cameron is to what? What makes you tick? What are you passionate about, Cameron? My passion comes from my family. Every single day that I wake up, um, I carry the lineage of my family, which is a lineage that's filled with trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and um, 
you know, that that has led me to ask some serious questions about my faith. It's led me to walk away from faith for a while, to come back to it new. Um, and it's led me to a place like Rising Hope, um, to where I can work alongside of people uh, that I that I just they're not clients to me. They are they're family members. They are they are people equally deserving of God's love. Um, and when we speak about them, as far as uh, you know, to the outside world, we see them as poor or we see them as you know broken. Um, we see them as homeless. But what we find is that these are people that are experiencing things. These are, these are, this is not their fate. It's a, it's a condition. It's an injustice that they are facing. So when I think about myself and I think about my own story and how I came to where I am today, like I said, I carry my, the lineage of my family and, and all of the trauma that came with that. Um, growing up, I'm a son of a, uh, sexual and domestic abuse survivor and my mother. Um, she was both sexually and physically abused by her father. Um, and growing up, you deal with the ramifications of that in your life. Um, so you start to see brokenness there. Um, she has a sibling of five. Um, my mother and my father, are the only ones that are still together, everyone else has split in one way or another. Um, I have tons of cousins and all of them have either been incarcerated, homeless. Um, when I was seven, 16, my youngest cousin, um, her mother was just got out of prison and, um, while she was still pregnant with her and, uh, overdosed on heroin and passed away, which put her and my uncle into a stage of a state of homelessness, um, for an extended period of time. So as a 16 year old boy, you know, I was taking a part of raising my cousin at our house that she slept behind our sofa. Um, you know, so this is a part of the, this is a part of my nature and the church for the longest period of time, when I was growing up attending it, it, it seemed to only have some sort of relevance for me as it relates to like, you know, once you die, Jesus has, he's gone to make, you know, these really nice rooms for you in this mansion. And there's one with your name on it. And, all of this, but it seemed like, how, how can I worship a God that's like, wants to build me a room when I die, but like, doesn't care that my, my infant yeah. niece doesn't have a room right now. Um, how, how can I possibly worship a God like that? Uh, a God that's so disconnected from the needs on the ground with my family. Um, and that led me to walk away for a while from the faith, um, as a whole. Um, and uh, as, as fate would have it, I guess you would say, uh, I came back in, in a new way. Um, this led me to where I am today. So that kind of, um, that kind of trauma and um, that kind of cycle of, of, of poverty and drama has led you to you are passionate about your family and it's led you to be passionate about a particular um, way of, of being in ministry. Uh, and so what, um, and, and, and thinking about ministry and, and the role of the church. So tell us more about, about 
uh, trauma and poverty. And uh, I, I think you have something to, to offer us. We've been in a sermon series recently uh, called What We Talk About When We Talk About God. Um, I think super relevant to this. What do we talk about when we talk about God and poverty, right? Yeah. So first, what do we talk about when we talk about poverty? And then what do we talk about when we talk about God and poverty, which is a, a whole other, what does God say about poverty? <laughs> so um, could, you, could you give us some, um, you know, in your... Give us some perspective into that. Like, where where are yeah. you? Where have you come from? Maybe I mean, perhaps you have even um, like you've grown in your understanding of this. So, where where were you? Where are you now? Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess the first thing that I would say, just as an just as being in an attitude of um, openness, is that there's a lot of people that talk about poverty that don't know anything about poverty. Mm-hmm. Um. And one of the ways in which you can you can determine as to whether or not you hold any validity when you speak about poverty is do you speak about poverty as um, as a term or do you speak about it as a person, right? Um, so the question that I would have is, you know, for someone that says that they talk about poverty, um, my, my question would be is what's their name? You know, who who is it? that you're experiencing because we, we have to move beyond speaking about a condition um, that a person is living in uh, experiencing um, to, to see that people as a whole are complex individuals or complex uh, species. Uh, We, we are more than one aspect of who we are. This goes for all of us, right? So, we don't talk about rich people the way that we talk about poor people, right? We say, well, this person, they have power, they have influence, but they also have all of these other tangible things that they also make up who they are. But nine times out of 10, when the church talks about poverty, they talk about just that as if the person was just a poor person um, and, and that that's what makes that person who they are. So I think the first part of it is language. Um, when we talk about poverty, we're talking about um, something that someone is experiencing. Um, that was the second part is that oftentimes when we speak about poverty, um, we speak about it as a problem, right? We speak about it as a problem, mm-hmm. but we're not dealing with problems. We're dealing with people. And when we only focus on a person as a problem, that's also an issue. So sociologically, um, people thinking through poverty, especially in the 1970s and 1980s, they would think through poverty on, on the lines of um, indifference, why, why people are poor, indifference, moral failures, laziness, right? Um, there was always some sort of connection that if a person was in poverty, it's because they have failed in some way to lift themselves out of it. Like the poverty is their fault, their fault. Right. And and we still hear this today. Like, you know, as we talk about this stimulus package, like don't give anybody an extra $600 uh, uh, a week or a month, whatever it is, because it's just going to incentivize them to just sit at home. Right. We're going to have more people in poverty. Well, what you're really saying is that everybody who's poor is just lazy, yeah. right? 
that's a problem. That's a problem in our speech that we need to address. Um, as time has gone on in, in the field of sociology, we start to think about poverty as it relates to systems. What are the systems that are present that are degrading to human beings? And when we go there, what we realize is that when we speak about poverty, we're not always just speaking in economic terms. We're also speaking about dignity, self-worth. Right. Um, and what are the systems that contribute to that? And that's where we kind of get into this stigma and shame culture. You know, um, what kind of stigmas are around poverty? Well, statistically speaking, um, you start to go towards, you know, persons of color, um, primarily men, um, and things along those lines, which are all stigmas. They're just things that come to our mind of what we think if this is, this is what people that are poor look like. This is where they live. Um, and we never have to actually do any work on ourselves, which is to ask the question, like, where am I getting this information from? Um, who are the poor? What are the poor experiencing? What is it like to be poor? Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of like the first place that I would start when we speak about God, or when we, not when we speak about God, when we speak about poverty, what are we talking about? We're talking about people. Um, and it, it should be treated as such. Um, unfortunately, it's not all the time. Yeah. So we talk about people, um, and you started by talking about people, right? Uh, unique stories. Um, and I'm sure that you are already in, in the works of collecting stories at Rising Hope. Um, and faces and names how is that how is that going like the collecting of names and stories um in your and in this personalizing of poverty in this area in alexandria um yeah it's um it really is the best part of of what i do is putting a name um you know it's amazing when you call somebody by their name the the difference that that does for them it allows them to know that they're being seen um that they're being heard that there's someone that cares enough to learn who they are beyond what they're experiencing um we have a lady edna that um frequently sleeps outside of Rising Hope. Um, and I hadn't seen her in a while. And I saw her a couple of days ago. And uh, when I was leaving the office and I shouted out across the street to her, Edna, you know, the smile that came on her face because she had been seen. Right? Cause oftentimes when we see these people, you know, mo most people, they're like, they're going to ask me for money, right? They're going to ask me for something. Um, if I don't make eye contact, maybe, maybe they won't see me. Right. But in reality, like this is the psychological effects of poverty is that it brings about shame to people. Right. So like the question is like, we want people to move out of poverty, mm -hmm. but we don't take into consideration the psychological effects that poverty has, which is people have lived in such a way have experienced things in such a way that the shame culture is a real culture for them. 
mm-hmm. in which, yeah, we want to, we want, we want you to, to move on. We want you to do these things, but in a lot of ways, because of the way we interact as a society with those who live on the margins, they do not feel at all times empowered to make changes. They don't always feel empowered that they are actually capable of rising above um, where they are and what they're experiencing. And we have a lot of blame to do on that on our side of things because of just the way that we interact. Right. You go to, uh, you know, you go to a mall or you go to, um, a movie theater, you go to some kind of social place, like that there's going to be other people there. You'll say hi to the people that you're walking by. You'll greet them with a smile. But once somebody looks poor, mm-hmm. um, we automatically treat them in such a way, even unbeknownst to ourselves that it, it leaves them psychologically damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would suggest, you know, getting to know somebody's name. That's why I, I said at the very beginning, like we can't talk about poverty until we can put a name to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point we can start talking about people. And once we start talking about people we are capable of um, making the systemic changes that actually need to happen um, to, to not just, to, I don't know that we can actually alleviate poverty, um, mm-hmm. but we can transform societies to be more hospitable um, mm-hmm. around the, the whole spectrum of it. You just said uh, the, I mean, I think we all have some understanding that, um, that there is a, a, a deep connection be, between poverty and mental health, but I don't think I've ever um, heard somebody say it so succinctly that, that some, that a lot of what is at the root of mental health um, concerns in, in, among the homeless community is, is, is shame that that's like so much of that, so much at the root. I, I, that's, that's huge. I'm going to be chewing on that. Um, and, 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 the, also- and the other part, and the other part when we talk about mental health is that we have to be careful. And it's not to say that mental health does not play a part, right. Yeah. Um, in what leads down the line. But this is, this is a part of what I was talking about with the sociological aspects of things, especially in the seventies and eighties, that there's some sort of a moral failing, um, that mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form that the person is in poverty because of something they did, mm-hmm. right? So as soon as we say, well, that person is experiencing homelessness because they have mental health issues, mm-hmm. that takes all of the onus off of us as a society to say, no, that person's experiencing homelessness because we have not invested in mental health. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah. Right? So, and that's the shift in mental health as well, right? That's, There's that's been a the shift, shift in that's the way the shift we- that has we- to- yeah. That's the shift that has to happen is because we place so much of the, of the onus on the way that people are living mm-hmm. and what people are experiencing on them, that it makes them the ones that are responsible in all ways, shapes, or forms without putting any onus on society as a whole. And like, mm-hmm. what kind of society are we trying to build mm-hmm. that can not only profit those at the top, but can make sure that people are treated as people. 
Mm-hmm. And they have but Cameron, but Cameron, isn't that what America is about? Personal no. responsibility. Cameron, I will please then tell me what it is about because I thought that we were all building our own lives and we all have have um, have have equal access to build our own lives and yeah. and to. <laughs> um, I hope you sense all of the sarcasm behind my. Um, yeah, no, yeah. no. I think that that's. I think that that's. Uh, that's precisely the problem is that we don't see poverty. We see poverty as a moral failure. We don't see poverty for what it is. Poverty is evil. Poverty is sin. And I don't mean sin on the individual. I mean, sin as a corporate systemic um, problem that we have intentionally or unintentionally neglected Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right um poverty is not a fate poverty is a condition Um, poverty is a injustice poverty is an evil um and that's the other part about this globalized society in which we we live in yeah the statistics suggest that the united states has a poverty rate of 10.5 percent that sounds really low. It's the lowest it's probably ever been in our country. But what that means is that 10.5% of Americans live be up below the poverty threshold, which for a family of four is only $26,000 a year, right? So that's not like something to celebrate, like, oh, because 10.4%, that's still roughly like 34 million Americans as a family of four make below $2,600, $26,000 a year. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of people that live in this world, if we're talking about global citizenship, the vast majority of people that live in this world live in poverty, which um, a person like Gustavo Gutierrez says, the vast majority of people in this world will experience um, what he calls um, early and unjust deaths, early and unjust deaths. Think about that. Like, we talk about like in the middle of COVID, right? We're like, stay at home, put your mask on, do these things. You'll, you'll live longer. Right. And, and you should, like, if you're, if you're not wearing a mask and you're not helping people, like don't be a part of the problem, be a part of the solution, wear your mask, stay apart. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, is that like, even prior to COVID, the reality of it is, is that the majority of people that live on this planet will experience an early and untimely death mm-hmm. because of poverty because of the lack of investment, because of the lack of seeing the need um, as a global society to transform our systems um, in a way that it's equitable for all people. Mm-hmm. Which well, is crazy because that seems radical to some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Cameron, you started throwing around some words that we use in the church, um, like yeah. evil and sin, right? Yeah. So we can't talk about poverty without also talking about God. Yeah. Um, we can't talk about poverty without also talking about how are us made in the image of God. Can't mm-hmm. talk about poverty and without talking about uh, sin and redemption. Um, we can't talk about poverty without talking about Jesus. Uh, so will you take us down that a little bit? What do we talk about when we talk about God and poverty? Yeah. 
I'm heavily influenced by um, Latin American thinkers around this, particularly theologians that we would call liberation theologians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I dropped the name of a person like Gustavo Gutierrez. He, he was kind of a leading Peruvian theologian. I think he's still alive. He's like 90 some years old. Um, but early 1900s, um, kind of moving in uh, to the mid 1900s, you started to have this strain within the Catholic church, particularly called lib uh, liberation theology, particularly preferential option for the poor. Mm -hmm. and, and people of power, they don't like that terminology that God would have a preferential option for someone. We, we just like to say, well, God loves everybody. Right. Hey, of course, God does love everybody. But when, but when we, but when we say, when I hear people say, well, when I say God has a preferential option for the poor and then they come back and say, well, no, God loves everybody. That to me is the same as somebody saying black lives matter. And then someone says all lives matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. We're not saying that all lives don't matter. What we're saying is, is that like, there is a real need. And until we highlight it, you're not going to see it. Yeah. Um, but not only that is that because, that is who Jesus is. That's who the Gospels portray Jesus as. We have conflated these stories, particularly as the, the, the nativity stories. Um, when we do, you know, here comes Mary and Joseph. They're in this little stable. Here comes the wise men. Here comes the shepherds. Right? You'll never find that actually in the scriptures. That's a conflation <laughs> of all the stories. Right. So it's important to actually take the scriptures for what they are. Yeah. yeah. If you want to take Matthew's gospel, for instance, Jesus is presented mm -hmm. as this kind of royal figure, which is why, you know, the lineage goes back to Abraham. And then the second part of his lineage starts at David. Right. So like he is the Jew of all Jews. He's the king of all kings. It's why royalty comes to see him in the wise men. But when you take Luke's gospel, that's not the Jesus you get. No, that's exactly right. You know, the gospel, the Jesus that you get in the gospel, there, there is no pomp and circumstance. There's no people looking for a king. It's nobody's going to know about this person that's being born in this little tiny stable in. Yeah. Unless the angels go to the shepherds and say to them, come, come see this child, right? That is going to be uh, the one who pronounces good news to, to the world right? Peace on earth. Well, who are the angels coming to? They're coming to the poorest people of society, the shepherds, right? It's why Jesus is inaugural addressed in Luke chapter four, where he says, here's the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. I have come to pro um, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, mm -hmm. right? Um, to proclaim good news to the poor, that's Jesus's inaugural address in Luke. It's also not to be dis, you know, dismissed that it's only in Luke's gospel that we get the parable of um, Lazarus and the rich, um, the rich ruler, right? Mm -hmm. The rich ruler is, is in presumably um, Hades or someplace like that. Uh, Lazarus is with uh, Abraham and what's interesting is like, there's no, in this story, there's no, you know, quote unquote, Christian evangelism in the sense that like, did, 
well, of course, Lazarus invited Jesus into his heart and the rich man did right. not invite Jesus. No, 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 no. Lazarus is where Lazarus is because Lazarus was poor. Hmm. And the rich man is where the rich man is because he did not show kindness and love to the poor. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, like, yeah, if you want to make a case for it, you need not look any further than Luke's gospel. And, and this is who you're going to get as Jesus, you know, there's a reason why in the Beatitudes in Matthew's gospel, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But in Luke's gospel, it says, blessed are the poor. Now he doesn't say blessed is poverty, right? Yeah. He's not blessing poverty. He's blessing those who are experiencing it. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I think about these things, I think about like, if God really is Emmanuel, right? If Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, then who does he promise to be with? Right. Even in Matthew's gospel, he tells us in Matthew 25, I'll, I'll tell you who I'll be with. I'll be with the prisoner. I'll be with the naked, the naked, the homeless, the, the one who's hungry. Right. Mm-hmm. Right now in the midst of all this political stuff that's going on, everybody's asking the question, like, where is God? Well, he's already told you where he's going to be at. Mm-hmm. Right. But that requires something of us. You know, it requires something of me. It requires new eyes to see that if I want to encounter God, like God has told us that he has turned the world upside down, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, Um, that the greatest of all must become the servant of all, the least of all, Um, Mm. which makes it, which makes it beautiful to think about that, you know, like, wow, like, Mm. there, there is no hierarchy with God. God has destroyed the hierarchy that we constantly want to put to ourselves in. And God has said, no, 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 no. Everyone, everyone, the, the systems of, of Egypt, the pyramid scheme has been flipped upside down. Right? Like, here's my party. Everyone's invited in. Um, if you don't have a coat, give them one. Yeah. We're, all, we're all here to participate in this banquet. Um, yeah, yeah. it's mm. just a beautiful picture for me. Yeah. So if, um, if God is, if God has made super clear to us in Jesus, who God is with, um, and why are the poor poor? Yeah. I think that the, the important part that we have to go back to is to ask the question, like, mm-hmm. instead of putting the onus back on the poor that are there and going like, why don't you just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get out of that? Right. Yeah. To ask the harder question, like what might have to change in our society? Like what might have to change in a place that is where we are right now in Alexandria, that's has one of the highest costs of living in the nation. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of, what kind of County do we want to be? What kind of city do we want to be? Do we want to be a city in which the poor are not welcome? Do we want to be a County in which the poor aren't welcome to live here amongst us? Right. Do we, do we want to be a space in which, um, where yeah where people who are 
just who have lived here their entire lives can now that they're out of their parents' homes have no capacity to buy or yeah. even rent. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We have to ask that question about ourselves. And that, that's kind of like a, at a local level, but like as a societal level, as a church, we need to ask ourselves like, what kind of people do we want to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how will we negotiate our common life together? Right. That is what politics really is. Politics is, is the work of the people. You know, it's destroyed mm-hmm. right now. I don't know who knows what politics is right now. Mm-hmm. But politics in its truest form is the work of the people. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is like when people get together, one, do we have all the people around the table? Yeah. You know, like I think about, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the Hamilton um, musical. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the songs that Aaron Burr always sings is like, I got to get in the room where it happens. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the problem that we have. Right. That's the problem we have is that like we have a whole bunch of people in a room making things happen, but the people that it is most directly impacted are not there to give their voice. We have people that are talking about poverty without actually knowing the poor. Um, and the point, the poor need, they have something to offer the world. They have voices, they have thoughts, they have opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm that can help to shape a better society. And, uh, you know, they should be in the room where it happens. <laughs> yeah. The problem is that they're not. They're not. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think this is, this leads into a, a larger conversation about, um, ministries that, that, mm-hmm. that exist, uh, to support and to resource the poor. Um, and, the uh where where are the poor (laughs) right are the like so i i I just at rising hope um how how like how how do you how are you with the poor at rising hope not just resourcing the poor but with them right yeah covid has made it very hard oh so hard right um part of what makes Rising Hope a special place is not only the fact that we have, you know, our, our, um, our ability to provide hygiene and those and uh, clothing and stuff to those that are experiencing homelessness. You know, we hand out, um, you know, we provide uh, food for over 350 families a week uh, through our food pantry out the front door Tuesday through Friday, we're, we're, we're putting out, um, at one point during the pandemic, we were putting out over 2000 meals a week. Um, like those are all good things. They make people feel happy. They provide for a need. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we miss is table fellowship. Like that's the one thing that rising hope had that made it more, than a nonprofit. Yeah. Every day we had table fellowship, right? We, we sat around tables, we ate lunch together. Mm-hmm. Um, and gathered around other. the Lord's table. Yeah. We and, heard each other's, right? we heard each other's stories. Yeah. We spent time in worship. Rising Hope has worship every day during the week. Um, we hear each other's stories. We pray for one another. Um, at, at rising hope, it can be a table in which everyone's, everyone's on the same plane. 
COVID has really destroyed that. It made us kind of think through like, well, how do we do this? Because like we're six feet apart, we're all masked up. The meals are to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, it kind of goes back to that, that original thing of like, I have to be more intentional in other ways to show you that I see you. Like mm-hmm. I need to say your name when I see you. Right. I need to ask how you are doing and I should remember, you know, if you have a significant other or a child, I should ask what they're doing and, and by name. It's more important so, than ever. Yeah. So that you know that like behind your mask, I see you. Mm. Um, you know, those are just kind of really important things that, that we do as, as people of rising hope, but rising hope is so much more than that because I would say 50% of what I do is also advocacy, right? Like, mm-hmm joining in advocating for fair um, housing right now on the route, uh, route one corridor, there's going to be this massive expansion of the route one corridor. That's a good thing. Like I, I, it's not to say that that stuff shouldn't happen, mm-hmm. but what most people don't realize is that like in order to expand, what's going to end up happening is that most people don't even realize when you go down the route one corridor, that there are um, mobile home parks all along the route one corridor, but they're tucked away. They're strategically tucked away. So you can't oh, see yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But what people don't realize is that like, okay, Hey, well, well, like there are going to be hundreds of families whose mobile homes are being taken out. Mm, like mm-hmm. where, where are they going to go? Like, that's one of the, that's like, that, that's like the simplest question that you could ask is like, like, um, where will the poor sleep tonight? Like mm-hmm. ask that question and you're like at your church, like mm-hmm. where will the poor sleep? If I, if I didn't have what I have right now, where would I sleep at tonight? What options are available to me? Yeah. Um, that's a basic need. All of us need rest. God says rest is good. You know, where will I get my rest tonight? And then we think about that when it relates to public policy, when we find out that people's homes will be taken away. Mm-hmm. There's supposed to be a one-to-one exchange for affordable housing in, in our county, but we'll see if that works out. That's what we're advocating for. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we are... Um super grateful for the ministry of, of rising hope even even now when it's so hard and um hoping um thank you for giving us a window into both what makes rising hope so unique and so wonderful and also what makes it really hard right now uh i i hear that i think um i think that kingstown is we we, we want to be in ministry with you all. Um, and we want to know, um, what's really hard. I think you, you all have had some, because of COVID, some, some changes and things you do every year, right? Yeah. Um, things that, so, uh, things that you expect, like the, the serving of a Thanksgiving meal where everybody gets to sit around the table, like it's totally revamped to, we're going to pass out a meal from a to-go box. Right. But yet it's still necessary. It's still necessary it in the form that it is in, even if it's not um, what is ideal. Um, and so uh, what, so Cameron and I sat down a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a week ago now, and we asked, I, I just asked him like, what is it that we as Kingstown, this small church that is growing and, but wants to be in mission with locally in our community, what is it that we could do? Um, in partnership with you all this winter, this December. And so, um, and Cameron said, um, a Christmas dinner. So, yeah, would you, I don't know, like, we're still getting some of the stuff together. Would you just talk about that just a little bit? What are you, you all used to doing 
And yeah, so, you know, what are we doing? Um, so typically every Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day, we have um, a meal here for people to be able to come together and, and not have to be alone on a day in which millions of people around the world are celebrating their families, right? So we want to make sure that people have an opportunity to not have to be by themselves. So what Rising Hope does is um, we typically give out about during the season beyond what we do in our food pantry, we typically do about 300 um, uh, packages that have items in it for like sides. And then we'll either give a gift card or we're going to give uh, a turkey so that people can go home and cook these things and they can have their own Thanksgiving meal. But a lot of our persons uh, that are experiencing homelessness, they don't have the capabilities of doing that. So we always have the option option on Thanksgiving day for people to come in and we would all have a Thanksgiving meal together on Thanksgiving day. Mm-hmm. Obviously with COVID, we don't have that capability. So we're doing, um, we've had a, a person that's uh, sponsored um, the Knights of Columbus um, have sponsored a hundred, a hundred, 150 meals that we're going to do that will be clamshell containers, handout, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, for Thanksgiving. We do the same thing for Christmas. Um, but the challenge is, is that we didn't have anyone for Christmas. So, um, prior to speaking with Michelle, uh, this had been the first year and, and, uh, a very long time for rising hope that we were just going to have to cancel altogether. Um, but we spoke to Michelle and we are super excited about the possibility of, uh, Kingstown coming on our campus, um, sharing in, uh, some, some worship, it's helpful for us because we don't, we've never, we haven't had worship um, uh, other than online um, since, since the pandemic started. So we, to have an opportunity for our community to see each other, some social distance and and such, but also to be providing a a Christmas meal. Um, I'm certain Michelle will relate to you how all that works out, but like. um, We we are super excited. So we've been doing. I hope so excited. We have been doing in-person outdoor worship at Kingstown, and so we're we're gonna bring that what we've been doing at the um, at at Lead Us to Grand Theater. We're gonna bring it to the parking lot of Rising Hope um, on a Sunday in December. Still nailing down the exact date, but we're pretty sure we'll have that for you this week. Um, and and so we'll bring it to the parking lot. We'll do a short Christmas service uh, with you know, the, the, the carols that we love, um, with masks on and social distanced and, and, uh, and in a, in a brief Christmas message, you know, Advent wreath lighting in the parking lot. And then right after that, we are going to serve, um, and a clamshell, um, to go, uh, Christmas dinner for, uh, 100, 150 people in the community who will come and receive. Uh, and and we wish we could sit at tables together, um, but this will be what we do. And we are grateful to have the opportunity to serve in this way. Uh, so thank you for inviting us into that. And thank you for inviting us in um, to something that wouldn't have happened um, if, we, if we hadn't. If, I'm so glad we made the connection and we realized that, you know, we have resources that we want to give this year at a particular way and you all have a need. And that's where, this is where partnership um, you know, is fruitful. So, yeah, I mean, Kingstown, if it it wasn't for you all and your generosity, um, that there may be people that wouldn't have had a a Christmas dinner and we're thankful that you all are providing it. Yeah. So, uh, so basically what we're saying is, um, 
Cameron is a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of wisdom as it comes to, to being in ministry with the poor. Um, and, and I hope that throughout this, this spring, you will get more and more of a glimpse of that and get to hear his heart and the way he reads scripture in a way that, that you may not have heard it read before. Um, and also that Rising Hope and Kingstown can build a lasting relationship that will continue for years to come in many ways. Um, Christmas dinner being one of the very first ways, right? Uh, and so keep, keep your eyes out, open to how this is going to pan out. And I will say coming to Rising Hope in December will give you a much better view of it's hard. You all don't know Rising Hope yet. You haven't been on the property. You don't know what they do out of their building. It's amazing the things they do out of their building throughout the week. So um, come and, and experience that and, and get to know Cameron a little bit better um, too in the process. So awesome. Cameron, I'm so grateful for your time today and thank you for helping us through um, what is a courageous and ongoing conversation um, about uh, re- reframing what we talk about when we talk about poverty. Um, any final words for us? Any final <clears throat> words? No, I think if, you know, if you're inspired by this conversation and you want to get involved, I mean, yeah, you can get involved. There's places I know you've all been involved with Lorton Community Action, mm -hmm. there's Rising Hope. There's, there's a lot of social agencies that are out there. Um, but you all have within your own ability to to change the world. And I really do mean that and not some kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. Grammy speech kind of way mm -hmm. by utilizing the gifts that you already have, which is a smile, the ability to know somebody's name, mm -hmm. um, to greet somebody in the way that you would want to be greeted. Mm -hmm. You have no clue how far that will go um, in changing this world that we live in. So I'm grateful for this opportunity. Um, and uh, look forward to spending some more time with you all. Yeah, thanks. We'll see you a lot um, yep. very, very soon. Uh, hey, Cameron, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Um, and we, um, we look forward to hearing more from you and getting to know your community better and knowing um, you and others by name. So yep. um, have a good one. See you soon. Yes, hey. There is peace at the table.